Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. I just want to give God praise tonight because, you know, we have so many gifted people here. And uh, can you imagine being a youth and standing in front of a group this size and singing? Can you imagine that? I don't know about you guys. Maybe y'all were at that place when you were that age. But I can tell you what, you weren't. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap of praise for them tonight and, and for Marshall and Connor and Miss Teresa. We thank God for all of you and your giftings and your willingness. I remember, I don't know how long ago it was, Cameron, but I told you, didn't I? I told you. Cameron's in the back seat of our car, I don't know, five, six years ago. She's a little thing. And I said, I heard her back there singing. I said, you know, one day you're going to be on the platform singing uh, in front of the people leading us in praise. And she argued with me, a little thing, just argued with me. So I had to say, I told you so, right? A little bit right there. <laughs> so if you have your Bible tonight, let's go ahead and make our way to Psalm number 19. Psalm number 19. Any of you glad to be here tonight? Hey, let me say this to you, too. Uh, did you get an outline when you came in? If you didn't, would you hold your hand up? We got some men and ladies ready to come around. Right down front, we got a few. And over here, just kind of sprinkled around. They're going to come around and help you with that. While they're doing that, let me make one other announcement about housekeeping type of stuff. Um, these doors, we can't come into them, right? Because of, well, y'all probably saw what it was like out there. But just know this. In the event of some type of emergency in here, you can go out those doors, okay? Uh, so it's just good to know, right? Just in case something should ever happen, you make a beeline for the, whatever the closest door is and get out, okay? So uh, somebody said, well, you know something's going on? No, I don't know, but I'd like for us to be prepared. And, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you. Psalm number 19. I want you to find with me tonight verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse number 7. Uh, still, if you don't have an outline, hold your hand up. and They'll make sure that you get one. And let me say thank you to those who are each week are ready to hand those out and make sure everybody gets one. And tonight we're going to dive into just uh, some verses that I got into this morning. Y'all, I, I was almost late getting here. I, I got deep down into this and the Lord is getting a hold of my heart. You know, sometimes it's hard to break away from spending time with the Lord and his word, even when you're supposed to go feed it to his people. And I and, uh, just had some Holy Ghost time and I can't wait to share it with you, okay? So if you will, without further ado, now that you're good and comfortable, would you stand to your feet and uh, get that blood flowing one more time? And we're going to read Psalm 19, beginning in verse number 7. It's the Psalm of David uh, to the chief musician. We find out in the first uh, verses that we're skipping, verse 1 through 7, speaks about creation and God's power in creation and the fact that we ought to be in awe of God in creation. Now, we have to be careful because sometimes we're in awe of creation and we end up worshiping the creation, right? Um, but that's not God's point. God's point and intention in his wonderful creation is to cause us to worship him, to connect to him, to draw us close to him, okay? And that's all what he talks about. there. He talks about uh, in one of those verses in those first uh, six that God has a tabernacle or a tent that he's made for the sun. Isn't that wonderful? And that the sun goes in and comes out like a bride. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, but then he shifts and he goes from the awe that we should have in, in God's uh, display of his glory and creation. And then he deals with <clears throat> the word of God. Okay? So uh, these verses, this, I'm telling you, I had some, we were going a different direction today, but early this morning the Lord just washed over me. And I want to share it with you. But what, he, what I want you to see in this is that we also ought to be in awe of God's word. Okay? Now, I just want you to think about that thought for a minute. We ought to be in awe 
of his word. And I'll just tell you, most days we aren't. You tracking with me? Some of you looking around like, man, why do we visit out here in the middle of nowhere to hear the guy tell us we're not in awe of his word? It's why we leave at the sanctuary and the worship center a lot, you know, for a week. Don't realize we have. It's why we stay, it stays on the, on, the ball, on the counter or the, or the tabletop. It's why a lot of times we just pick it up and, and go with it one day a week or on Sundays. And uh, I'm telling you that we need to be a people whose lives are transformed by the word of God. And so I pray tonight, God, it calls me and you to love his word a little more and that we'd understand the magnitude of it, okay? So without further ado, let's begin to read a Psalm of David. And remember, the first part dealt with creation, the awe of God in creation. But now we're gonna deal with what? Oh, you weren't ready. We're gonna deal with what? His word, his word. All right, beginning in verse number seven. <clears throat> the law of the Lord is, somebody help me. Perfect. Converting, or that word literally means restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is, somebody help me, pure. pure. What does it do? Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and that drips from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, uh, all those things about the word of God, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Isn't that a good prayer? Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. Verse 14, finally. Let's read it together. Okay, you ready? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray, all right? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered here as the family of God. Lord, I'm amazed that you saved me. I'm amazed that you never gave up on me. I'm amazed that you still have patience and you're still changing me. But God, I'm so very thankful. Now tonight as we dig into your word, may you speak to us from on high. Lord, I thank you that although you're seated on high, you look down low. And you're involved heavily in all the affairs of man. So now, would you help me by the gift of your spirit and the gift of preaching to proclaim this timeless truth that has the power to transform us from the inside out, top to bottom, inside and out, left to right, up and down. All of us changed by the power of your word. So God, as you help me to preach it, also help me to understand it and make application. I don't just pray that for myself, but I pray that for every listening ear, whether in the room now, some other location, and even in a different nation, or listening to a podcast somewhere down the road, that God, your spirit would speak to us now from your word. You'd tune our ears to hear you. It cause us to uh, uh, miss out on all the distractions that are working against us. And we would sit like a little child at the table waiting for breakfast cereal, uh, that you might come feed us now from heaven. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. I had the picture as I was praying there of a little child at the table. You know how children are when you're making their cereal? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Boy, they get antsy, don't they? Uh, they get that smile. They get the kind of bounce, and they just, they just want the cereal. And so I pray you and I to have that kind of excitement in our hearts tonight for the Word of God, okay? Uh, the title of the message is The Most Neglected Help. The Most Neglected Help. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you, have you ever neglected help that's been offered you? You have? I would say uh, neglected help. I, I was just thinking this afternoon about some forms of neglected help. You ready? Uh, one would be uh, a walker. 
And I think back to some people over this journey of life, uh, as I've pastored here for now 18 years, uh, people who the doctor would say, now you need to use the help of this walker, okay? Uh, whether it be for a little season or for, for now on. And I have seen where some people are not willing, come on somebody, to take the help that the walker provides. And just about every time somebody has fallen over the years and injured themselves, uh, when the doctor said use the walker, they were in fact neglecting the help of the walker. Anybody tracking with me? Uh, I want you to think today about many times you and I neglect the help, men especially, of the doctor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I figure we get a few amens there. Uh, it's why when we have some pain, the man says, I'm going to give it a few days and see if it goes away, right? And, uh, and yet oftentimes I found myself suffering longer. Come on, somebody. Because I didn't go ahead and receive the help that the doctors or the nurses or those people offer to me and you. There are a lot of forms of help that we neglect, isn't it? And so tonight, I want us to think about the neglected help of God's Word. So here's the main idea of those verses that we're going to look at. Here it is. You ready? The Word of God is help for those who obey it. The Word of God is, y'all help me, help. It's help. For those who obey it. Now, you can take the Word of God, set it on your table. You can lay it on your stomach. You can rub it on your head. Uh, you can move it from room to room. You can carry it to church with you and back. And yet, if you do not spend time reading it and it reading you, it will not help you whatsoever. It's like leaving the walker in the corner when you have a busted hip. And so, let's just dive into this thing, okay? Now, there are about, oh man, eight. Can you believe that? We got to hurry though because there's a lot of kids back there. And a lot of times on Wednesdays, they come in wound up. So we've got to walk through this thing together quickly. Okay, y'all ready for this? All right, in your notes there. And yeah, you say, yeah, we got it right here in front of us. So all we got to do is fill in a few blanks. Okay, so here it is. The Word of God is help for those who obey it. What would you learn from Psalm 19 Wednesday night? You went to church on Wednesday night? Yeah, I did. Can you believe that? With about 400 other people. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. What would you learn? I learned the Word of God is help for those who obey it. I hope that's what you go out of here and tell people, okay? Number one in your notes there is found back in verse number seven. We're going to just rewind back to the beginning, and we're going to work through this thing one verse at a time. That okay with y'all? Okay, I'm glad because that's what we're going to do, all right? Here we go. Number one in your notes, the perfect law of the Lord restores the soul. Would you write that down? The perfect law of the Lord restores the soul. Now, notice that I didn't say the perfect law of God, right? Doesn't it say the perfect law of the Lord in your notes there? Yes, and the reason for that is, as I was first going through, I had put the perfect law of God, but then it remi I was reminded in my time, uh, a little bit deeper in the text, is that it's not the word for God, it's not the word El or Elohim, but it is in fact the word uh, Jehovah, in other words, Yahweh. It is, the, it is the word that God used for his covenant relationship with his people. Now, what you're going to understand then is, if I'm in covenant relationship, and covenants are where both parties have agreements, right? Things that they are agreeing to, to enter into a covenant covenant together. And by the way, if you're born again, you are in a covenant relationship with God. Uh, and how did you enter that? By saying, yes, I will follow Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus, who he is, what he did on the cross, his resurrection. And because of that, I'm committing my life over to him. I'm letting him lead me. And so that's covenant relationship. So of course it makes sense for God to use this name for himself as he's about to talk about where we find the conditions of the covenant. How about that? Uh, in the word of God. So number one, and you know, it's the perfect law of the Lord restores the soul. Let's read back in verse number seven. <clears throat> the law of the Lord is, here's the word he uses, is perfect. 
And this word for perfect means there's no flaws, uh, there's no things that are, uh, that are in disrepair. The Word of God is complete. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need to be supplemented. It's why when I got a visit a number of years ago at my door, the do- door knocked and, and the people rolled up in their vehicles, about four of them, and I'd just gotten back from the gym, and they said to me, hey, we're going around the neighborhood and we're talking to people. We like to talk about the Bible. And I said, you do? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, let me go get mine and we'll sit out on the porch and we'll talk and so I go and get my Bible, and I took them right away to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was God, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And I come on down and tell them, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. I told them, look what the Bible says. Jesus is God. And they said, well, we got to go now. And I said, hang on, hang on, hang on. I thought y'all wanted to talk about the Bible. They said, yeah, but we got this other material. I said, oh, oh, oh y'all lied to me. You came to my house and you don't even know me, and you just bald-faced lied to me. You said you want to talk about the Word of God, and you brought this other watchtower garbage that is some man's opinion of some interpretation, and you're going to come to me and tell me you like to talk about the Word? Where you? And boy, they were hitting the trash. I said, well, can I pray for y'all? They screeched the tire getting out of there. <laughs> now, the point of the matter is this. The Word of God needs nothing added to or nothing taken away. It is sufficient. It is perfect. It is right. And here's what he says based on that, okay? Now, number one, we're going to walk through this kind of quickly. The perfect law of the Lord is perfect, right? And so because of that, it has the power to restore the soul. Now, have you ever found your soul in disrepair? You ever found yourself in a low valley and you just you needed a touch? You needed something to lift you up? I remember a season of my life about, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago when I uh, was at the house and it felt like something inside me had died. And I, I said to Tina, I told some other people, I, you know, I, I think I'm going to go back and lay asphalt. I don't think I'm cut out for this. I don't think I can do this all the time. Uh, it's a lot easier. Can you imagine somebody telling you it's easier to go lay asphalt? And I said, boy, it was a lot easier when I was laying asphalt, and I'm just going to go back and, and lay asphalt. And people would encourage me. Brother Jimmy was one of them. They encouraged me in those seasons. Hey, keep going. And, and yet, the more they said to me, it had no effect on the dead feeling I had on the inside. Now, can you believe I just said that? Just came out right out and said, all my friends were telling me, hey, you need to keep going. You need to keep going. And it had no effect on me whatsoever. As they left the room, I still felt, you know what? I'm going to quit. I, I don't have the passion. I don't feel the, the yearning. The desire is gone. I, I don't know what's wrong, but that word from them didn't fix it. And one morning, I don't know, about two weeks into that, I was sitting down in my kitchen table, uh, and I was reading the word of God in the Psalms, as a matter of fact. And I read across the the verse that says, He restores my soul in Psalm 23. And would you believe that me and Jesus sitting at the kitchen table, nobody else was there, and the Word of God, because it's perfect, restored my soul in one instant. And I got up from the table. I said, wow, I feel like preaching. You know what I mean? And I feel like counseling. And I feel like encouraging. And I feel like praying with them. And all of a sudden, that thing that I thought was dead on the inside, one word from God's Word spoke to my heart and restored my soul. Listen, maybe it is that you're looking for something out there. And you've tried all kinds of things like Dr. Phil. And, and you've read books and novels and all those things you like to read. And romance novels. You like to, went fishing. You did, went hunting. And you still feel broken on the inside, let me encourage you with this. You ready? Would you just begin to steadily diet yourself? Would you begin to feed your soul on the Word of God and believe, listen, and believe it has the power to restore you? It does. I promise you it does. So in need of restoration, it can be found in the Word of God. It could be that your despair hinges upon whether or not you're spending daily, consistent time feeding on the Word of God. You know, the fix could be that simple for you. 
You've tried everything else under the sun, and the fix could be so simple as you just would start sitting down every morning to begin the day, and you just spend time in the Word of God. How many of you have ever experienced what I'm talking about there? You just spend some time, and all of a sudden, you got joy. All of a sudden, you're restored. You feel like living. You feel like you can keep going. You feel like you can stay married. Hello, anybody out there? You feel like you can keep parenting, right, instead of selling the kids off or killing them, right? And so the Word of God, He restores you and keeps you going, and that's what it can do. Number two in your notes there. So we said the perfect law of the Lord restores the soul. But number two, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise. Now, this is found just in the same verse, uh, the second part of the verse. And David says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Now, that word sure means it's settled, okay? So, the testimony of the Lord is sure, and it has the power to make somebody, y'all help me, what is it? Wise, to make somebody wise. Uh, God has given us a testimony. Now, did you know that a testament, a testimony, a testament is that agreement based on a testimony, right? Uh, the testator gives a, a testimony, and we found out that God's given a testimony in the Old Covenant. He's given a testimony in the New Covenant, and the Old Testament pointed to the New. I wish somebody would hear me tonight. And then in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, we find out that all of it came together in the person. Come on, somebody help me of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. So, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Everything that God has said, both in science and history and archaeology, everything that God has testified has found out to be true. How about that? I love the fact that science just takes a little while to catch up. Some of you in here, maybe it is that you find yourself struggling with that because you call yourself a scientific mind. I love that. It always makes me smile. A scientific mind. Because, because in the you know, 1800s, science said if you bleed you enough when you're sick, you'll get well. And that's what killed George Washington. And so science is not as brilliant as you think science is. Science only catches up with the technology of the day. Problem is that technology is constantly changing. And as technology constantly changes, things that science says was true at one time has to come back later and say, well, we have now found that that is a lie. And it's not good for you to drain all your blood out when you're sick. So be careful what you hang your hat on. Amen? Be careful what you trust in because what I'll tell you is all of archaeology and all of science will tell you what has been found in the pages of the cover from Genesis to Revelation has absolutely been testified to be settled in the heavens and sure. And so because of that, you can't trust the historical documents of, of man. You can't trust science of the day. But you can, in fact, trust the living Word of God. It has stood the test of time. Many men and women much more intelligent and analytical and scientific than you and me. And I'm so glad I'm so glad that the Word of God tests, will face any test man could ever throw at it. It's settled in the heavens. Let me give you a verse to write in your notes there. Did I, did I put Psalm 119.89 in your verse, in your notes? Man, I wanted y'all to write that one down. All right. Psalm 119, verse 89. Here's what it says. Forever, O Lord. Y'all help me. Your word. So the testimony God has given us, he's not up there with a council of angels voting on whether God's going to change his mind about what he said. He said it. And it settled. There used to be a phrase went around the church. Matter of fact, church I grew up in would say this. You'd sit down, you'd get the Bible, and everybody say it together. The Word of God says it. I believe it. That settles it. But that was a, that was a nonsense. <clears throat> the second part of that uh, is not what settles it. You follow me? As I got a little older, I got thinking, now wait a minute. The, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. No, no, no. I have no part or portion in that. I'm a small little finite speck of dust on one little planet, one small little, y'all tracking with me? And instead, here's what the phrase ought to say. The Word of God says it. That settles it. Not because I believe it. Listen to me. What you believe doesn't validate truth. I knew a person one time said they didn't believe in gravity. And I told them, you better not jump off of anything. 
Because, listen, what you and I believe doesn't validate truth. It stands all by itself. So, the testimony of the Lord is sure. So, what God has said, you can trust him. His testimony has been proven over and over again. Number three, look how fast y'all are going tonight. The rules of the Lord are right, and they are able to, listen to this, producing joy. Write that in your notes there. The rules of the Lord. Don't you love that word, rules? <laughs> I love that with dead silence. A couple people laughed. A couple people just came on out and said, I'm going to be honest. No. <laughs> what is it about mankind that we hate rules? Isn't it interesting about me and you when we're told we can't do it, we want to do it? Like if I told you right now, you cannot swallow for the next one minute and 30 seconds. Don't you dare swallow. Don't swallow. Some of y'all have already swallowed. Some of y'all swallow when I said the word swallow. What if I said to you, hold your eyes open and don't blink for the next two minutes. Do not blink. Whatever you do, no matter how dry your eyes feeling, do not dare blink. You see, some of y'all blinking so many more. You blink more times in that minute than you have in your whole lifetime. It's why when the doctor says don't eat after midnight, you never eat at 11 o'clock. Who in heaven's name eats at 11 o'clock? When you're having surgery, 11.59, you'll be eating peanut M&Ms. <laughs> why? We don't like rules. We don't want nobody to tell us what to do. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's what Paul wrestled with in Romans chapter 7. He said that sin was dead inside me until the law activated it, right? When I was told that there's a standard, automatically I want to do something different. I've seen several psychological studies where they'll put a group of people in a room, and a room has six doors. And they said, now look, y'all can go through all these six doors, and feel free to move around the room and building. We're going to take about an hour break. But whatever you do, don't go. Whatever you do, don't go in this door right here. No matter what, don't go in this door. Nobody can go in this door. And they leave, and they got cameras in the room. And guess what? Before long, a group of people start congregating over there. And they began talking about, you know, wonder what's behind that door. And uh, wonder what they're keeping us from. You think it's dangerous. And before long, somebody grabs the handle. And before long, somebody has walked in the door. And so he, but here's the thing, what he says here. He says, the rules of the Lord are right. Now, that's where the struggle comes in. Because the truth of the matter is, we're born thinking that we're right. I'm right. My way's right. It's why people tell me all the time, I know what the Bible says, but. I'm like, What? I know what it says, but this is what I think. <laughs> I know what the Bible says, but what I believe is, and how, how nonsensical does it sound for the creation, a creature made from the dirt, to talk back to God based on what he's already said. This is the way to do it. And yet I've done it, and you've done it. And what we need to learn tonight is that the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise, but the rules of the Lord are right, and they produce joy. Have any of you learned that like me the hard way? Uh, for instance, uh, when the Word of God says, it teaches me in principle, beginning in Genesis, that as the man I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of my house. In the beginning years, I didn't do that. I mean, I made a living. I kept the lights on, you know, what have you. But I wasn't spiritually leading my home, and there was no joy there. Do you believe that? There was no joy in the home, a very fleeting joy based on what we were doing. If we had enough parties, if we had a barbecue, if we did things like that, we had a little bit of fleeting happiness and joy. But as soon as the thing was over, there was no happiness and joy that stayed resounding because... God's rule was for me to be the spiritual leader, not dictating and a tyrant, but showing my family which way to go in walking with Jesus. And I was not doing that. And so there was no joy. You know what I found? Now that God has changed me and began to point me in that direction, you know what I found in my home? Joy. Joy. Joy in my home. So when you think about all those principles, the rules of God, they are right. And they produce, somebody help me, joy. Let me, let me give you a, a, a verse. It's in your notes there, right? John 13, 17. Do you see it? 
If you know these things, what? Jesus is teaching. He said, here's some truths. Basically, here's some rules. <laughs> here's some rules for living. Here they are. I'm God. You're not. Here's some rules for living. This will help you. He said, here they are. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you know them. No. Blessed are you if you can quote them. No. Blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. Now think about the weight of that. Isn't that huge? The rules of the Lord are right and producing joy. When you follow his rules, you will in fact have joy. Does it mean that life's going to be lollipops and gumdrops? No. It just means that you learn his way and you find out that, that what happens when you walk his way, there's an inner peace. When you walk his way according to his ways, whether it be marriage, whether it be the single life, whether it be parenting, whether it be finances, you find out that there's a joy that you can't purchase at Walmart and you can't, happen, you can't sustain it with events. And God does that as you and I follow his rules, okay? So uh, write this in your notes there. Obeying God's word brings blessing. And part of that, in John 14, 21, he says this, as many as know his commands and keep them, uh, Jesus said, the Father and I will love him and will reveal ourselves to him. So think about this. Part of the wonderful rewards and blessing of obeying God is that he reveals himself to us more and more. The more we obey, listen, the more he reveals himself. Isn't that wonderful? Wow, hallelujah, that's good stuff. So the rules of the Lord are right, producing joy. Number four, about halfway there, y'all okay? We're about out of time, but we're halfway there. Number four, the command of the Lord is pure. Okay, right in your notes there. The command of the Lord is pure, giving right perspective. Oh, mercy. Uh, let me read, okay. Uh, where, did you, where did I get the, the rules, statues? Uh, those words, statues, are this is the same word as rules and regulation. You with me? Regulating how to do something. Uh, the statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It'll bring joy into your heart, okay? Then, then the second part of that, the commandment of the Lord is pure, and it enlightens the eyes. Again, the commands of God. We're, we're hearing what God says, do this. Uh, forgive your enemy. Uh, love those that hate you. Uh, here's another command. Make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. Uh, the command of the Lord is pure, so that means God's motivation for giving us command is pure. It's pure than anything. You know, when something's done in pure motives, it's a beautiful thing. But the pure motive of God is so much more pure than anything you and I could imagine in our heart. The reason that God does what he does and says what he says and the commands that he gives are pure. They're not just to suck the fun out of your life. They're not just to make life burdensome and hard. Matter of fact, the word of God says when you love Jesus, his commands are not burdensome. So think about that for a minute. Are they burdensome for you? Could it be that your love for Jesus is not where it ought to be? Something we ought to ask ourselves. And so think about what he's saying here. The rules of the Lord are right, producing joy. Okay, the command of the Lord is pure, giving right perspective. Listen, this pure means, I mean, there's, well, it's the opposite of man. Would you, would you agree with me that the things that we command and the words that we give uh, are not pure? Uh, such things as, I, you, you talk about anything idle today? Like they don't have any, did anybody have any conversation today based on something that has no bearing a thousand years from now? <laughs> I did. I did. We all did, right? <clears throat> and so there's idleness in our talk. No idle words in his talk. Woo, he didn't waste words. No deceit. Any of you have told any, any lies lately? Huh? How big was the fish? How big was it? How fast is your grandchild? Huh? And so we deceive, and we'll deceive one another on all kind of points. But in his words, there are no, there's no deceit in his command. There's, it's pure. There's no idle talk. There's no deceit. No misspeak for flattery. You ever said something that you really didn't mean to flatter somebody? Huh? 
And so there's no misspeak in God's command and law. There's no flattery. He doesn't say things just to make you feel better about yourself. He says them because they're pure and they're right. Y'all tracking with me? Oh, isn't it wonderful, the word of God? Pure, there's no flattery. No wasted words, right? His word, and watch this. What he says about his command, the command of the Lord is pure. And what it does is it gives us right perspective. Do you know we're born with a skewed perspective? It's skewed, it's biased. It's bent toward us. And our perspective is, I'm right. And our perspective is, it's all mine. And whatever I want, I want to take it. You don't believe it? Go check, hang out in the nursery for a minute. I saw a little Scott's little arm. He had a little bite mark on it at the game last night. I said, well, who beat him right there? He said, well, you know, he had a, t- a truck and the kid wanted it. Either he took the kid. And I said, man, look at that. Isn't that how we, that's, that's the human nature. The nature of Adam. So I want you to think about that for a minute. It commands the Lord to pure. They're right. They're righteous. He gives us the right perspective. He shows us why we should forgive and what that means to forgive. The right perspective is he's forgiven me, right? If I don't have the commands of God, if I don't have the word of God, when God says to me, forgive, it makes no sense to me. But when God has forgiven me and gone to great lengths to do so, I get a perspective that says, if God has forgiven me, how in the world could I not forgive somebody else? And so it's his word that gives me the right perspective because, boy, if I don't have the word of God, I'll get all sideways and skewed, and I think I'm right. And uh, I've heard Jill say this before. He said sometimes he thinks about something, and he says, but before he goes and acts on it, he takes it to the word. You, you take it to the word. You check out what does the word say about it. What's the word say about how you're feeling or what you did or what they did or how you respond to what they did? Anybody with me? How do you raise your children? How do you be a married person? How do you be a single person? What do you do with your finances? All of that, we all have a perspective and a theory on that, but God's word is right and pure and it is the proper perspective. So I'm trying to move on. The command of the Lord is pure, giving right perspective on such things as. Here's a question to ask yourself. I think I wrote it in your notes there. Did I write the question, do I have the right perspective on a matter? Here's a couple to consider. What about marriage? Like, do I have the right perspective on marriage? What is the perspective on marriage? Is it for women and women? Is it for men and men? Is it for, is it for you know, just for a little while and we get sick of each other, we can part ways? Um, is, it, is it where I'm the man and so whatever I say goes and, and I dictate and ty- I'm a tyrant? Or, or is it, y- y'all, anybody tracking with me? Uh, what's my perspective? What do I think? What are my feelings towards it? Because, because if it doesn't line up with his word, my perspective is wrong. His is pure. And right. And it gives me a perspective. What's my perspective on alcohol? Uh-oh. Somebody told me that you preach on alcohol? I said, if it's in the text, man, I go with it. And uh, I've had some experience with that, amen? And you can, if you ever want to talk about that with me one-on-one, I'd love to do that. Not non-threatening, just I'd like to hear what you have to think. And I'll show you what I've learned in the scriptures about it. And why the alcohol of today would be classified as strong drink of the Bible. Strong drink meaning everywhere strong drink is mentioned in the word of God is strongly condemned. And it has to do with the level of alcohol, the alcohol content. It, boy, it got, I love, just deafening silence always hits. And what you'll find out is your perspective is probably, well, it's no big deal. Jesus turned the water into wine and we just throw. And, and Paul told Timothy to drink, you know, a little wine for the stomach's sake. Yeah, but because the small amount of alcohol content would help him with the amoebas and things that were in the water because they had an aqueduct. So if you've got an aqueduct in your city and there's no chlorine or iodine that comes through your faucet, then you drink a little bit, dilute it with water, and drink a little bit yourself. Context is king. And so what's your perspective on, on marriage, on alcohol? How about gender? You know, what's your perspective on that? Um, is my perspective right? Well, the Word of God has a clear definition that he made man in his image. He made them male and he made them female. Made them male, made them female. It's a biological clarification. When you look at the anatomy of one or the other, you can determine whether they are male or they are female. He made us different and unique. Is anybody out there? 
Y'all are acting real weird. I feel like I'm the only one in here tonight tracking on this, but I'm still standing on it. You hear me? I'm still standing on it because my perspective is not always right, but his is. What about your perspective on giving? Oh, come on now. Let's talk about gender. Let's talk about marriage. Let's don't talk about giving, right? What's your perspective on giving? Generosity? Have you, do you tithe, which is just 10% of 100? Or are you generous and you're giving the New Testament teaching? Uh, when you think about not only that, what's your perspective on? Oh, I'm about to get us right here. All of us ready? What's your perspective on making disciples? Here's what some of y'all will say. I don't have time. I said, whoo, whoo, boy, I went, I, well, what will it be like when you look at the master's face and tell him I didn't have time? The one thing you commanded me to do, commanded me to do, I didn't do it. Didn't have time. Man, what's your perspective on it? The Word of God has a clarification on our perspective. Come on, somebody. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. I think I wrote it in your notes. Maybe I didn't. If you're not, you write it. Consult God through His Word. If you want to know the right perspective, search it out. Seek it. Uh, look in the concordance. Look in the dictionary. Find, look at what the thing is that you're struggling with and, and ask somebody, right? Or begin to do your own research and find out what does the Word of God say about it. Because whatever it says, especially, well, not especially, but when we disagree with it, it is still right and pure and the right perspective. God, help me and help you to have our lives lined up with the rules, the commands of the Lord. All right, moving on. Number five, the judgments of the Lord are true and right. We've got to hurry if we're going to get through. Can y'all, y'all ready to speed up a little bit? <laughs> Somebody said, I don't know how we're going to do that. And the judgments of the Lord of the Lord are true and they're right. Okay? Verse number nine. The fear of the Lord is clear, uh, clean rather, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord means I know what God's perspective is. I know what God's commands and rules are. And because I know who he is and what he's capable of doing, right, both, both in blessing and in, in punishment consequences, uh, I follow his, his way. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So when God makes a judgment on something, he's absolutely right. And by the way, let me talk about for just a minute the most important judgment God will ever make about you. You ready? Guilty or innocent. There's a judgment that has been made about you or is going to be made about you. You tracking with me? And all the other judgments about your life, about how, you know, whether you smoked or didn't smoke, whether you overeat or didn't overeat, whether you cussed or didn't cuss, all those judgments about little individual sins will, will, will not be, the, the factor will be whether you're innocent before God or guilty. That's all. And the determining factor, whether or not you are going to be guilty before God or I'm going to be guilty or innocent before God, is whether or not we accepted his son Jesus and the offer of his life and the power of his resurrection in such a format that we committed our life. We said, yes, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life. Come take the throne that you rightfully deserve. And if not, guilty. Guilty. Verdict's guilty. So here's what I'm thinking about when I'm reading through this and talking about the judgments of God. The judgment is a verdict. You see what I'm talking about? God takes the facts and, the, and, the, and then collects the information and he passes a judgment on something. And I thank God that when he looks at my life, he knows there was a moment in time when I saw my weakness as the Holy Spirit drew me. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died in my place and rose again. And I waved the white flag and invited Jesus to come and be Lord of my life. And because of that, in that moment, the verdict was made about me innocent. Bam. And one day I'll get to fulfill of that in the kingdom of heaven that's coming one day and it's coming quickly and so is yours now my question for you is what's the verdict been put on your life you innocent or guilty before God the only determining factor is whether or not you've invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life that's all that's it it's that simple let me move on if I can the judgments of the Lord are true and they are right come on y'all strength with me almost finished number six if you will the word of the Lord enriches and enhances you believe that tonight say amen 
How does it enrich? Enrich means to make more rich. What's the observation here in verse 10 and 11? All right, let's read. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, though than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So there are two things here. The first part of verse 10 talks about enriching. The second part talks about enhancing. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you were to receive a large uh, box of gold bars, you would be rich or enriched. Does that make sense? The gold adds value to your life, and so it has been enriched or to be made more rich. And so what he's saying is the principles of God's Word, his commands, his judgments, his statutes, his direction, his encouragement, is by God given to me and you as a special treasure. And you ought to treasure the Word of God. You ought to treasure it. You know, I hate for my Bible to touch the floor. I'm just weird like that. I, get a, I just can't hardly lay it down on the floor. Uh, sometime I oh, go over here and somebody set it on the floor and I reach down and pick it up. I'd rather just hold I don't want to. You say, well, that's kind of weird. No, no, it's just that what happens is I've learned that it is a great treasure. Now, sometimes it offends me. Somebody laughed. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It offends me sometimes. But it's not because it's wrong. It's because I'm wrong. And the Word of God will offend my opinions and the Word of God will offend and assault, are you with me? My, my ideas and my notions and my selfishness. And it'll give me a, it'll chart a path for me. Hallelujah. Uh, out of that place. So the Word of God enriches and enhances. So gold enriches. The Word of God is a great treasure, right? Making one rich. But honey, on the other hand, honey does a couple of things. First of all, it's very nourishing. How many of you know that natural honey is very nourishing? And so it's very nourishing. But, but, notice that he said there are other things that are very nourishing. Did you know that? There are other foods that are very nourishing? Sure there are. So why then does the psalmist, why does David choose to use by the Holy Spirit's inspiration to use the term honey and honeycomb? Because not only is honey nourishing, it's pleasurable to eat. It's sweet. It doesn't have to be sweet. It could taste like water and have all those nutrients. But it doesn't taste like water. It tastes like Honey. And what he's saying is, it's not just nourishment, it's pleasurable. It, it, when I sat down with the word uh, this morning, I was, I was reading through this, I said, my goodness, um, this, this word is bringing such joy into my heart. And I'm here by myself, just me and Jesus at the table, nobody else even awake. And there was such joy, and I thought, it's sweet as a honeycomb. You know, it just, it just adds value. And I wish you and I began to value it like that. I heard the testimony of a man uh, in a nation in which the Bible was illegal. And so what happened is one of my friends showed up to preach in a, in a time of, uh, of restoration, revival, if you will. Uh, and so a crusade. And as they get there, uh, they get out of the van. They've got a box of Bibles. And a man runs up to him. And he says, what are y'all doing? So we're going to hand out some Bibles. And he hands one to him. And he said the man grabbed it from him and put both his arms around it. And hugged that Bible like it was his little child. And he said, this is it. This is it. I'd only heard stories. This is the word of God. He just held it. He just held it. I wish you and I would cherish the word of God. And I'm not talking about just go to sleep holding your Bible. But I'm talking about making much of the word of God in your mind, in your heart. Elevating it past the time you and I spend on social media. And the time we spend talking to people about nonsense. If we would get along with the word of God. And because, let me say this to you. Because it enriches and enhances, it ought to have a special place in my life and yours. Which means, when I'm spending time in it, set your phone somewhere where you can't reach it. Set it where you can't get to it. I had somebody the other day say, man, I tried to call you four times this morning. I said, yeah, but I was in the word of God. And it is much more important to me than you. I love you. I want to be there for you. But I'm just going to tell you, when I'm meeting with the Lord, I don't want any human being to interrupt me in my time as I'm, I'm feasting on the Word of God. You ought, you ought to just set apart some time 
and set it apart. I mean, don't just set it apart like I'm going to do my morning. I'm talking about set it apart where you will not allow anybody to interrupt your schedule or your time with the king. And your life will be, I'm telling you, it'll be richer and it'll be sweeter. It'll be sweeter. All right, number seven. Quickly. All right, we've run out of time. Those little kids, I bet they're about there bouncing off the walls. Number seven. Here it is. The word of God, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, all right, warns and brings reward. It does both. It warns and brings reward. Now, when the word of God warns, if you don't heed the warn, a warning, you miss the reward. Anybody with me? All right. Y'all got to help me now because I'm, I'm, I don't want to slow down. <clears throat> so when the word of God warns me and I heed the warning, I'm rewarded. When the word of God warns me and I rebel against it, then I'm going to suffer consequences. It, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, it really is pretty simple. Let's read it together. Put your eyes for just a minute on verse number 11. Y'all reading with me, verse 11? Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. How can, I, how can I know that it is a dangerous thing for me to have an adulterous affair with somebody besides Tina outside of our marriage relationship? I'll tell you where I can find it. In the Word of God. More times than almost any other warning, it warns us not to lay down with somebody outside of the marriage relationship and all the destruction and harm that comes with it. And that's, not just, that's just one warning. Oh, I could pick. There's so many warnings in the Word of God. But just like, just like the Titanic, as they received warnings to change their course because there was an iceberg ahead of them, they ignored the warning and suffered the consequence. You do know the Titanic song. And it was because of ignoring the warnings. But if we'll heed the warning of his word and, and not let our flesh puff up and be offended, but we'll heed the warning and make, here it is, you ready, course adjustments. If I'm headed this way and God says, don't go that way, I'm going to adjust the course by the help of the Holy Spirit and I'm going to go a different way, amen? I'm going to go his way. And when I do, there's great reward. How many of you ever found out that when you do it according to God's word, there's great reward? Had a man come to me one time, he said, man, I just need to apologize to you. I said, why you haven't done anything to me? He said, no, but I've been mad at you. For so long, I said, well, man, okay, but what, what, he said, I said, for why? He said, well, I just, I didn't have a reason, I'd just been mad at you. And I said, okay. And he said, but I feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, I need to come meet you face to face and apologize to you and ask your forgiveness. And now, he and I talk uh, about once a month, doesn't live anywhere close to here, but man, you're talking about a sweet relationship, a reward. We got a reward of a friendship because he let the word of God direct his actions. Man, what a blessing. So finally, number eight, y'all ready for number eight? Now, this is just a statement. It's already written down there. Too long for you to write blanks in. I just want you to read along with me, okay? Is it there? Did I write it all out for you there? Okay, here's what it says. I'm going to read verse 12 and 13, then we're going to read that. <clears throat> verse 12, who can understand his errors? Whose errors? God's? No, no, no. He's talking about the errors of our life. Error, not arrow, right? Who can know his error? If we don't have the guiding truth of his word, his judgments, his statutes, his precepts, if we don't have that, we think we're right. We don't know that we've erred in any way. Isn't it y'all with me? We don't have the wisdom to do that on our own. So he's given us his word so that we can know what's right and what's wrong. And so here's what he says. Who can understand his errors without the word of God? The answer is a rhetorical question. Nobody. And then he says, cleanse me from secret false like things that nobody knows about. But you know God. And your word reads me. And your word corrects me. And your word scolds me. And your word encourages me. And your word cheers me on. Uh, he says... Uh, cleanse me from secret faults. This in verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So he says that sometimes I'm, 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 I sin accidentally. You know that you can sin accidentally? I like that right there. Like, what did he say? Well, if sin is to miss the mark of God's perfection, hamartia, uh, I don't always intentionally miss the mark of God. Sometimes I just don't know it's not right. 
And I have to spend time where to find out it is? In the word of God. That's where I find That's what he's telling us in verse 12 and 13. So the word, uh, listen to what he says. God will use his word and his spirit to cleanse. Listen to what he says. Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep me back. Listen, what else will do? Not just cleanse, but restrain. Keep me back. Hear what David's saying? God, keep me back. By your power, keep me back from doing presumptuous sin. Don't let me do it, God. And what will help me? A steady diet of the word of God. Keep me back. So it'll cleanse me. It'll restrain me. It'll set me free. Read a little further along. And let them not have dominion over me. What's David saying? Keep me free. Keep me free from the chain of sin. Keep me free from the yoke and burden of my mistakes and my misguidings. God, keep me free. How? By your word. Keep me free, God. Oh, it's beautiful. So it'll cleanse. It'll restrain. It'll set free. And it will, in fact, produce a crop of righteousness. All of a sudden, me who didn't know how to live right, uh, after steady diet, spending time in the Word of God. Now, by the way, it doesn't happen overnight. Somebody amen right there. It's a, it's a process of a steady, constant diet on the Word, meeting with God, not, not, not looking for things to do and don't do, but seeking His face in the Word. And as I'm doing that, God's adjusting and shaping and molding and pointing and correcting and, and encouraging. <clears throat> and, and it says, uh, from presumption, let them not uh, have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Listen, you and I ought to want to have a life that looks righteous. That from the inside out. Now listen, he's not talking about doing good to earn salvation. But he's talking about now that I know God and now that I'm in relationship with God. He's the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus. We're New Testament looking back to Jesus. Now that I've been made right with God, Lord, show me how to do it. I want to live a life that pleases you. I want to live a life that, listen, that reveals you to a lost and dying world. I want to live a life that's rewardable. I want to live a life that has impact on the people around me. I don't want to leave here just having lived and people uh, passing around my deer heads like a practical joke uh, 10 years after I'm gone. I want, I want my life to have How am I going to do that? I'm going to live according to his word. So it will also produce righteousness. Let me read verse 13 again. Keep your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Here's what I want to do in closing. I want us to read verse number 14 together. But first I want you to read it silently right there in your chair. So real quickly, read verse number 14. As we're talking about the most neglected help. What is it? It's the word of God. And as David has gone through and talked about all that the Word of God does and what it offers and how it works and how it uh, shapes us and molds us and sets us free, uh, the last thing that he says is asking God. He's asking God to do something. So read through verse 14. And when you do, just look up and I know that you're ready uh, for me to go ahead, okay? You read verse number 14. So at the end of that time, and he's going through the word and the precepts of God, the judgments of God, the statues of God, uh, asking God to cleanse his heart and to, and to cause him to live according to his ways, he makes this last humble cry out to God. So I want to do this. I want us to bow our heads, but keep your eyes open so that you can look at your Bible, okay? So would you bow your head with me, but I want you to look at your Bible, okay? And I'm just going to ask you to pray that out loud. Just whenever you feel ready, you're just talking to God. And I'm going to encourage you, invite you to, Pray, David, join in David's prayer. If it's, if it's the desire of your heart, pray that to God right now. Pray back scripture to God. So the prayer would look something like this. Maybe you'd say it with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You're my strength, God. You've redeemed me with the precious blood of the lamb. 
You're my source of strength. I can't do it on my own. I can't try harder to live according to your word. So God, would you help me? The words of my mouth, what I say and what I speak about and what I'm silent about, let the words of my mouth, and then, and then listen, the med- because really what comes out of my mouth is an overflow of, Jesus said, of my heart. So Lord, let the, what, I think, what, what I think about, what I ponder on, what I'm wanting, what I desire, what I, what I look upon, what I behold, what I, what I crave to be acceptable to you. Let it be right in your eyes. Let it be pleasing to you. And then he says, why? You're my strength and my redeemer. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, I pray tonight you take your word and do what only you can. Transform our lives. God, I I must confess and ask in a spirit of repentance for you to forgive me because I confess I don't hold your word in high regard as I should. Anybody else want to join in that time of repentance? I'm going to take just a minute and give you liberty there, just just out loud or however you feel led. Just have a spirit of repentance. God, I, I realize tonight I've not held your word where I ought to hold it. And I'm asking you to forgive me. It stays on the counter. I try to get a little sprinkle of Jesus, a verse of the day. And I've missed the whole concept that you want to meet with me and feed me and nourish me and lead me in, uh, to the still water and the green pastures through your word, by your spirit. So Lord, tonight I pray that you would transform us, change us, cause us to be so desperate for a word from you that we're meeting with you and looking for your face as we study your word. Now if you're here tonight, you've never been born again. The good news, the word of God says it's not too late for you. That tonight, if you would feel the Holy Spirit drawing, you could, in fact, believe on Jesus' death and resurrection in such a way that you could have a change of mind, repentance. It means to realize, I don't need to be the one in control. But you have to act on that. Repentance is, is the thought that leads there, but also it's the action that follows. So then it turns into repentance is, I don't need to be the guy, but Lord Jesus, you need to be the one that's Lord of my life. And you could confess that where you're seated tonight, where you're listening out there. You may be riding down the road and you realize tonight that one thing missing in your life, because you've tried putting emptiness on top of emptiness, you've tried all kind of activities and actions and work, you've tried substances, you've tried women, you've tried men, you've tried everything under the sun, and there's this glaring starvation that you feel deep down in your soul. And I want to say to you tonight, I know why. His name is Jesus. You, you were made by him and for him, and until you connect to him through confession and faith and repentance... There's always going to be a gnawing emptiness in your soul. But he, in fact, my precious friend, is the fountain of living water. That if you'll take a drink from him by confessing him as Lord tonight, he'll quench the thirst of your soul. You'll finally figure out what living's all about. Maybe you've drifted far from the heart of God. And it's because the word of God has not had the proper position in your life. Hey, good news. God doesn't just allow returns. He desires return. So come home to Jesus. Father, I pray you take this time of response. I pray there'd be some folk come spend a little time with you at the altar. God, I pray as we come down front, as Gerald helps me and, and Jimmy helps me, Lord, that, that maybe there'd be somebody here tonight that just confesses Jesus as Lord and comes and we get to celebrate with them. Or somebody that just needs to come today and be prayed for that said, tonight I'm coming home, coming back to Jesus. But for all of us, that we'd humble ourselves before you and say, God, give us a hunger and thirst for your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all the people of God said together, amen. Would you stand with me?